0: Hello, this is Matt. For this special episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently than normal. Recently, Eric had the opportunity to speak to our local church, and his sermon was all about what we have been talking about here for the last few weeks in the book of Job. Uh, It just worked as a really good wrap-up and summary, and I wanted to just share that here because I thought it was really worthwhile. So I hope you enjoy this. Now... I have decided to uh, just put it in here the way it was recorded here at church. So at the beginning of this, you're going to hear some references that he makes to some photographs that he's put up. Uh, I'm going to try to have those photographs available on our Facebook page. So all, all of those uh, references you hear, they'll make sense if you look us up on Facebook at uh, Adventure Through the Bible. So in, in the meantime, uh, take a listen to this. Here's Eric with his message, Tell Me What You Know.
1: We're going to be going through the book of Job, the whole book. So if you're a little bored during the first little part here, just go for it, Job 1 and 2. This is, this is the typical uh, adult story. So what's that? Let's go to the next slide. That's what that is. And the next one, you'll see where that first one was taken from. Kind of interesting, huh? The first one didn't look like much. Now, here in Colorado, we're kind of like, yeah, maybe that's mountains. You'd show that to somebody from Kansas to be like, I don't know. But it's kind of tough to see the whole picture when you're looking at just one little part, isn't it? Let's do the next one. What is that? And I'll give you one if you can guess what that is. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, sorry, you guys. You get ripped off. That TV's not working. Look at that, and you could have had one. I didn't have it in my pocket, don't worry. And go to the next one, you can see where I, where I got that from. Okay, you guys get the hang of how this works? All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it. Probably. Okay. Now, what's that a what is the bigger picture here? Or, or what is that? It's blips in that picture. Now, if you were looking just at the first one, you would have a very different idea of what that picture is, wouldn't you? Let's admit it. Literally, what you were looking at was just Just a blip in this picture. But if the first part was all you saw, all you know about is the blips. Go ahead and, uh, yeah, that's where it's from, right there. That's my van. For those of you who don't know it, I'm a part-time hippie, Um, not not enough full-time. But uh, my family and I lived in that 15-foot van in June um, on purpose. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. Okay, what's that one? This one you're going to be like, I know what that's a picture of. I'll tell you right now you, you don't. <laughs> yeah, but what's it a picture of? Really? Let's go to the next one. Right? You're like, "Yeah, I know what that is." And then you go in there and' like, "No, I really didn't know what that is." Yeah, go to the next one, you can see, obviously, where we took it from. Now the next one. what is that a picture of? I'll I'll give you you a hint. It's part of a breakfast scene. Let's go to the next slide. Now do you know what it is? I'm glad you don't know. Let's go to the next slide. That's what's for breakfast there. We're out uh, camping, nothing but the finest. Now, There is an artist that I came across who does some amazing painting. Let's go to the next one. Boggy Fabian. Look at that. Does, not, does that just like, you're like, you're like, mm, dude, he's lost it. But wait, there's more. When we turn off the lights. <laughs> you guys haven't seen anything yet. Next. Turn on the black light. It's the same wall. Like, what? I was looking at that, but I didn't see it at all? Welcome to the book of Job. This is going to be a summary. You can take it down. Not a substitute for reading it yourself. But for those of you who maybe have not read it, let me give you a quick summary, and then we'll get into it. Somewhere in the galaxy, at some point... Satan showed up before God's throne. God said, what you doing? He says, I've been hanging around on my turf, basically. Everybody there, you know, it's just kind of my place. And God says, "Uh, not everybody there is your people. You, You know about Job, right? And Satan is quick to say, yeah, I know about Job, but the only reason he likes you or loves you is because you protect him. God says, no, actually, he loves me because he loves me. Satan says, no, it's because of all the stuff you give him and you protect him. God says, let's see. You have your way in Job's life. In case you were wondering what Satan wants to do in your life, immediate devastation. Immediate devastation. He ruins Job's life, takes away all of his, his, um, his, his agriculture, He he, he instigates theft. He instigates war. He brings fire down to burn his livestock. He He commits murder. He creates a windstorm that kills Job's children, all of them, at one time. Satan couldn't do it fast enough. Job laments, of course, and he has three friends who come to comfort him. And the short story is, Job's three friends say, well, Job, you wouldn't be in pain if you hadn't done something wrong. Because that's how God rolls. You do something wrong, you get pain. It's just how it works. If you'd been good, you wouldn't have any pain in your life. Hmm. Hope you don't have friends like that. Job spends the rest of the time declaring his righteousness. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. This isn't some fair. There's got to be some kind of mistake. God owes me an explanation. Elihu shows up. He's not part of the three friends at the beginning. And he says, God doesn't know you anything. Don't make him wrong to make your theology right. At the end of the book, God shows up and he basically asks, so who's been talking about stuff they don't know anything about? God says, let's get some perspective, Job. And God starts in chapter 38 to say, Job, do you understand this? Do you understand this? Were you here when I did this? And time after time after time, Job just is like, I, nope, you're way outside of my league. At the end, God says to Job's three friends, You did not speak of me what is right. And Job is asked to intercede on behalf of his friends. Offer sacrifice, God accepts that. God blesses Job, his latter half of his life, more than the first half. That's the summary. I encourage you to read the book of Job for yourself. Really get into it. But I want to give you some context that will help you. I read the book of Job many, many, many times, along with other books. And I will tell you the book of Job was harder for me to get my head around than any other book in the Bible. Just didn't make sense to me. Just hard. Here's one of the first things I could tell you to help make sense of it. Think of the book of Job like a security camera recording. It simply records what happens. Now you've seen maybe um, security footage these days or maybe it may be a, um, a, a badge camera showing what happened when an officer interacted with somebody. What it does is it just shows you this is what happened for the period that it was on. You have to decide what was good and what was bad. As you approach the book of Job, realize that Job's three friends, and Job and Elihu, and you've got to figure out who's saying what, and is it right or is it wrong? Because just because it's in the Bible isn't necessarily holding it up as an example of correct theology. You've got a lot of stuff that people did that was really wrong. Book of Job is no exception. There are three big themes that I want to share with you that I have seen in the book of Job. There are so many more. The book of Job is is, um, said by scholars to be chronologically one of the earliest books in the Bible, that it's it took place very, very, very early, sometime in Genesis. Now, if that's the case, you have to understand that all the people and Bible authors after that would be aware of the story of Job. So Job gets some things out of the way really early on about what is and what isn't happening. That's why it's really worth paying attention to this. Theme one, there is much... In this world, we do not perceive or know about. It's happening, but we don't see it. Like that artist paintings that we saw, that Boggy Fabian, there's stuff there that before you saw it under a different light, you had no idea. But it was there. And the fact that you didn't know it didn't mean it wasn't there. You follow me? Okay. Theme two, our judgment is very flawed. It's largely as a result of number one, we don't see everything. And three, trust our creator God to be right and do right. Theme one, there is much that we do not perceive. You know, there is such a thing about not knowing something. And then there's some steps beyond that we need to know that we don't even know what we don't know, right? There are some things like that where, like, I, not only do I not know the answer, I didn't even know that was a question. And as soon as we are willing to admit that, we're in a much better place to learn and suspend judgment. We have a very limited perspective. We're looking at fewer pixels than I showed you, of those pictures at the beginning. And sometimes we're very quick to say, oh, I got the whole picture, let me explain it to you. And that's what Job's three friends did. And they were very wrong. Job chapter one and two, this is an interesting thing. As they launch into Job chapters three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, all the way through the entire book of Job, nobody even references or acknowledges that they are aware of what's happened in heaven with Satan. There is no acknowledgement of that. Everything is perceived to have come from God. Hmm. Which gives us the thing about acts of God. You know, if there are floods or windstorms or whatever, we say, well, it's an act of God. Well, if you've read Job chapter one and two, who is it an act of? Satan. You know? We should change our insurance policy. Just cross it out there and go, it's an act of Satan if that happens. Let's call it what it is. Because Job 1, 11 and 12, but stretch, this is God speaking, but stretch out your hand. Oh, this is Satan, I'm sorry. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. This This is Satan talking to God saying, go ahead and do this, God. Touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand in your hand Satan only against him do not stretch out your hand and so Satan went out and destruction so Satan's the destroyer we live on his turf and he has power here don't doubt that do not doubt that he has power on this planet It's interesting, when the fire came down and destroyed the livestock, they all said, it's fire from God. Huh, interesting thing here. Don't miss the fact that Satan had an active hand that was allowed in the weather to create destruction. It's right there. Let's get it straight. Jesus is the creator. Satan is the destroyer. 1 Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy, to devour. You know, let's give proper attribution to this. Now, I want to take you back to Job chapter 1 and 2, if you're taking a look at this. On first read-through, we would think that the book of Job is about, this is an easy one, it's a gimme, the book of Job is about Job. But actually, I believe the book of Job is about Satan's accusation to God. That's what's really going on here. Now, it plays out in the life of Job and his friends. Absolutely. They're involved. But the origin of this thing is before any of this happens, is between Satan and God. That's the context. And that's echoed elsewhere in the Bible, Ephesians 6. 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Wow, that's a different kind of battle than we're dealing with, right? That in Ephesians 6, if you remember, is the whole armor of God. And it's important to keep in mind that that is God's armor we're to put on, right? Because if we're dealing with this kind of warfare, friends, you you don't have the firepower. I don't have the firepower for that. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. Now, I don't know if you were here, but Arlene read a a text that a friend sent to her about Jesus praying for Peter. And that really struck me. It's in Luke 22, 31 to 32, talking about being in a world where there's an adversary against us. We're gonna read it twice. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus talking. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that you may not fail. If you have a Bible with with comprehensive footnotes, let me share something with you that I discovered. When Jesus says, Simon, Simon, he's looking at Simon, but get this. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, That you is plural. That he may sift you like wheat. That's plural. He's not just talking to Peter. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. That ought to make you take a deep breath and go... Help me, Jesus. And those are the right words, by the way. (laughs) If you're facing that, and you are, whether you are aware of it or not, Jesus prayed for him that his faith may not fail. Satan wants you, and he wants me. And thank God, quite literally, we have a Savior who intercedes for us. And in a war, there are casualties. There is hurt. And pain and loss. And so we'll say that's a senseless thing that happened. On one hand, yes. But on another hand, if we're at war, you know, picture this. Suppose I'm with, with, a, with a bunch of other soldiers and, and we're in, in a war and we're a conflict and, and somebody next to me got shot. And I'd stand up and say, why would you do that? You'd look at me like I was crazy, right? Like, dude, this is a war. That's what happens. Why would you hurt my friend? And one hand, it's silly, but on another hand, if we don't have the context of war, we look at this and go, well, where did that come from? The book of Job helps us see where that comes from. Theme two, our judgment is flawed. Job's three friends were wrong about Job, and they were wrong about God. See, their assumption was that Job had done something wrong. You've done some secret sin. You can read it yourself. They keep going on like, mm, just, okay, there's, obviously you did something that you're not coming clean about. That's why you're having all this pain and trouble in your life. Just come clean with it already. So they're sure that he's done wrong. Their judgment was off is not to say that anybody ever since in the context of a church has been wrong in making assumptions about their brothers or sisters, certainly not in this church. Elihu shows up. Now, he's a different character. So as you read it, think about Elihu, because when God shows up at the end twice, he says, you guys have spoken wrong about me, and he names Job's first three friends, doesn't mention Elihu. Because Elihu doesn't spend any of his time saying, who did wrong? Elihu spends all of his time talking about, God did right. God's the one, he does right. And if if there's a conflict between your perspective and his perspective, pick his perspective. Yeah, that's... But you know, the irony is, is that each of those three, as you read the Bible here, They're not going into this tenderly, talking to Job. You know, I could be wrong about this, but I'm I'm not. No, they are dead sure they're right. They are so sure they are so right. And let me tell you what, the world is full of people who are quite sure they are quite right about everything. You don't have to go very far to find somebody who will just tell you how it is. And, of course, it is the way they see it and everybody else is a fool. Be cautious with that. Another interesting thing, throughout the book of Job, and this includes Job himself, they're basing their theology on a prosperity gospel. If you do good, good things happen to you. If you do bad, bad things happen to you. That simple. This is why Job is so confused. He's like, well, I don't understand. All these bad things are happening to me. There must be some mistake. And obviously, I mean, I didn't mess up. God must have made a mistake. I'm not making that up. I mean, it's in here. God calls him on it. So does Elihu. He says, yeah, be careful with that. Flawed judgment. (laughs) That's interesting. These guys say stuff like this to Job. In addition to, you must have done something wrong. They ask questions like, Who was innocent that ever perished? Like, ah, we never heard of that happening before. Wow. Yep, that was their theology. And their theology went on to say, God does not hear the wicked. Interesting. When Jesus shows up, who did he say he came to save? I came to seek and save the found, you know, the ones that are already here. That's what I came for. No, what did he say he came for? The lost, that's really good news, yeah? That's why I say be careful what parts you quote because there are quotable things in here from Job's friends that are dead wrong. Zophar in chapter 20, one to three, he, he lays it right out there. He says, my thoughts answer me. He's getting ready to talk to Job again. And out of my understanding, I speak. And then he proceeds to blah, 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 right? Which leads me to think that not all contemporary theology is good theology. Not all of pop culture is God's kingdom culture. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Bob didn't know I was going to read this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's read some other ones too that I'm going to get to later. God's ways of looking at things and God's perspective, that's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, by the way. Write it down. His perspective is it's not ours. It just is not ours. And we need to get that straight. Job is wrong, too, in his judgment of God. It's interesting. We've heard the, uh, the saying, you know, God's given and God's, the Lord's given and the Lord's taken away. You've heard that, yes? Except, wait a minute, let's back that up. The Lord gave, that's true, he's the creator. Who took away? Satan did. Job has the attribution of pain and loss wrong. And in 2.10, he says, is it okay that we just receive the good from God, but not take the evil from God? Wow. Now, so he's viewing everything came from God, including the evil. But let's get it straight. God does good, Satan does bad. An interesting thing is, is that right next to Job is Psalms. And if you, if you listen to, I was doing some parallel reading, I would want to say by coincidence, but I don't think it was, of Job and the Psalms. They sound almost the same. The despair, the, oh man, this is going terribly for me. They sound almost identical, except that two things, big differences. One, David gives attribution for the bad things, not to God, but to his enemies. He sees the concept of an enemy. And I don't wonder if maybe David got that straight from Job. He got this figured out early on, like there's a bad guy. Also, David admits his sinfulness over and over. He says, I can't cut it. I am not good enough. This is not about me. Job, uh, he's like, I, I towed the line." I did pretty good. Let me name some things I did. And he goes through and he did good things. Hmm. But Job is wrong. He's wrong about God. And he's wrong that he feels that God owes him an explanation. Which is to say our righteousness does not make God owe us anything. Anything. Now, for sinners, that's pretty easy. We're like, yeah, right, I messed up. I need God to forgive me. I've got that straight, right? Which is why I think Jesus had an easier time among people who were obvious sinners. They're like, yes, I need God. Now, who, spoiler alert, did Jesus have the hardest time with? The righteous people. Because they have a feeling that, hey, I did pretty good. God probably, I mean, I've, I've kept my end of the bargain, assuming that this is some sort of bargain deal, like, okay, I do this, and then God, your turn. Yeah. It's hard for righteous people to hear that. And I can tell, I, can, I read the book of Job so many times, and I read that, like, Job's right. Job is right. How could this isn't fair. How come, Job, God needs to show up and, like, explain this to Job. And then it kind of broke through to me, like, oh, wait a minute. No, there's God and then there's us and there's so much space in between. And he made all the the space closure, the distance. He reached down, we didn't reach up. Get that super straight, right? That was a thing that was a real epiphany for me in the book of Job. We have poor judgment. That's theme two. We sometimes blame God when it's not God's fault, but it's Satan's fault. And sometimes we blame God or Satan when it was God's will that my car rolled. Oh, wow, that's terrible. What happened? Well, I was going 85. Oh, but it was pretty snowy. Yeah, the roads were icy. It was God's fault that my car rolled. Like, could have been you were going too fast. Right? Or it's like, oh, it was God's will that I failed that test. Really? Did you study? Oh, no. <laughs> well, maybe it's because you didn't study? I mean, we laugh about that because it's a nervous laugh, right? You know what I'm talking about because we've done it. We've done a thing and we're like, hey, see, who can I pass this off to? God! It was His will that, well, that goes along with our judgment being flawed. Let me read you a quote here about judgment. This is from Anne Lamott. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates the same people you do. Theme three, trust the creator to be right and do right. The book starts with this question. And it's a question that's thrown out. Don't miss the context of this. In some sort of intergalactic meeting, conference, there are representatives from all places throughout the universe at this, which I do not know what that looks like or what was going on. But Satan shows up for this and he throws this out. Is God really fair? I mean, people wouldn't really trust him unless they get good stuff from him hmm, the assumption is God is not fair and he's not doing right. Interesting. In Job 33, there's some enumeration of ways God communicates with us. In Job thirty-three fourteen, 14, it flat out says, we don't perceive it. One, it says, sometimes he reaches out to us in dreams. Hmm. Sometimes that's in fifteen. Sometimes through pain, and that's in thirty three nineteen. It's interesting. I met a young man here on crutches recently. We had a conversation briefly. He said to me something very interesting. I said, "Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that." He said, "No, actually, I'm really glad that this thing happened to me. This pain, like whoa, that's kind of a different take." He said, "It was a wake up call. Got my attention." God will try to get your attention any way he can because it just, it just, right out there in 36.15, he says, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ears by adversity. In all of this, God is doing good through our pain. He does not cause our pain, but he will use that pain that Satan caused for our good. The three Hebrews Remember, uh, they're they're facing the fiery furnace. They are saved through the flames, not from the flames. We pray, I do. Hey, save me from the flames. I don't even want to get near them. But God is a different kind of God. He's got a different plan. Sometimes he says, you know what? I will be with you personally. don't, Don't forget that. When the king, when they threw the three in there, he says, wait a minute, we threw three in there, but I see how many? Four. Wait a minute that other one looks like the son of God. And how he knew what the son of God looks like? I don't know. That's pretty awesome. But he knew. And he's like, he's with them in the fire. He wasn't with them until they got in the fire. Don't miss that. Job 33, 29 and 30. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. Even in, and maybe especially in, loss and pain, God can act for our good. Romans 8, 28, And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Which is not to say all things are good. And is not to say all things are happiness now. But it is to say, in the eternal picture, in the grand scope of things, those things can be used for your good. Now, there's a quote that, um, that I'd heard before. I didn't remember where it was, but Karen sent it to me. We we're talking about this. It's from the book Desire of Ages. It's page 224. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. What I see from that is when we can see our losses as having some kind of glorious outcome that we don't understand yet, we're like, wow, this has a purpose. This can mean something. It takes it from just like, ah, oh, this is stinks, this is terrible. It can be terrible, it can be bad, and it can hurt, and it can be difficult. Do not misunderstand that. But that God can use that for something amazing as part of his art. That makes it different. It does, it really does. In Job chapter 38, we hear God talking, and it's hard to hear. You just flip open to Job 38, and he launches right out, and it's tough to listen to that. He's basically saying, look, I'm big, and you're small, and how much do you actually know? I'm I'm paraphrasing. It's way more poetic in here. But that's what's going on, Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of earth? You know, it's difficult to hear, let's say, Jesus the God of the New Testament talking to Job like this, right? Admit it, it's tough to picture that. Fasten your seatbelts. John 1.3, all things were made through him, that is Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1.2, but in these last days, he, that is God, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. In Job 38, when he shows up, he introduces himself as the creator. Who's talking? This is Jesus. We want to put Jesus, you know, like in Talladega Nights, in your golden diapers, in the manger. Just keep him right there, a safe, good little baby. But when Jesus starts talking like he does in Job 38, he's like, and you and me, let's talk about who each of us is in scale. Yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah, and when he shows up in Revelation on that white horse with the name written down the side, it was, whoa, watch out. This is serious business, and this is Jesus talking to Job. He calls Job out. He says, do you know? Were you here when? Here's an interesting little one. He's like, can you make, for example, the morning happen?" Not like do you notice it, but can you make it happen? No. <laughs> Sometimes I can't even make myself get out of bed, <laughs> let alone make the sun come up, you know? The, the scale of this stuff is amazing. And you should read the description about Leviathan. This is like a, a an armored, it's a, it's a dragon. It's just a fire-breathing dragon that's what it is. You can read about it here. It's in the Bible. You asked me to explain it. I can't explain it. All I can say, it's here. And the God says, oh, by the way, can you play with with Leviathan like a bird? Would you put a string on him and and give him to your girls to play with? (laughs) Okay, this is the biggest thing in Job's world. Like this is the biggest, baddest animal. It's badder than anything we got now, hands down. You read it. I mean, this thing is, mm -mm, no way. This thing is something else. It's like a fire-breathing dinosaur, okay? And God says, yeah, I can put a string on it and just like, no problem. And how about you, Job? Job's like, oh, nope, nope, not me, not me. Job circles back to, God, you've got this. You're God, and I'm not, and I trust you. And a very interesting thing, you know, we'll get to that here in just a second. I I would be remiss to not cover what Job gets right. Now, through the whole thing, Job holds this prosperity gospel. We never get word that he figures it out otherwise, okay? So think about this. Even when all of the bad things happen to Job and he attributes them incorrectly to God, He chooses God. Because the whole thing, Satan's whole thing was like, he's going to curse you, God. When bad things happen, he's going to curse you. There was something about Job and his relationship with God that was stronger than his theology. And I know that people who really dig theology, that freaks them out. Scary which is not to say theology is not important, it is. Job's life would have been way easier if he'd had correct theology about God, I think, right? But Job chose relationship. He said, you know, even if I do not understand what is going on, I choose God. We're gonna fly through this. Job 1.21, Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Don't miss this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In spite of everything, I'm going to bless God. In 2.10, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. His attribution was wrong. He said, I'm still going to take God. I'm going to take him all the way. 13.15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Wow. We're looking at this going, no, 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 Job, it was the devil. It was the devil that did this. Job doesn't hear us. And he says, I still choose God. Wow. 16, 19, even now my witness is in heaven and he who testifies for me is on high. That's an early vision of the book of Hebrews right there. Nineteen, twenty-five to 27, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that the last... He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Twenty-three, twelve, 12, last part. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. 42, 5-6. to six. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And I think what he's repenting of is self. It's like, you know what? The self part that I was talking which was so good before, sorry, no. That's not part of the picture anymore. I'm sorry about that. Remember Mike Tucker, he's a, uh, an evangelist and public speaker, came and did a, a marriage workshop uh, at the Adventure years ago. And his then, his now late wife, Gail, was with him. And he said something that really stuck in my mind. He said, you know, that he, he would have struggles with them in a relationship, in their marriage, and he would second guess her, her actions or her words, and he, and he would feel hurt and defensive about things until he had this epiphany. He said, they spoke, and she said, Mike, I am for you anytime you misunderstand what I have done or what I have said, you should know, no matter what happens, I am for you. And he said, after that, everything changed. If there was a look, a glance, a a word that I didn't get, I'd go, you know what? I'm misunderstanding because I know she is for me. And this says so much about Job's experience with God, is that, he says, God is for me. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Let's, let's get ready to cue up that video here. And right after that, we'll have the music team come up. I want to read you a story as that's playing. So to give you some context as to what's happening here when they get the video up, it's, it's a video of the sun, Okay but they have applied different filters that show different temperature levels, anywhere from a few mere 100,000 degrees, you know, to 11 million degrees. Because you can't look at all the things going on in the sun at one time. It's just too much. You can't see it. So what you're about to see is different levels, yeah, you go ahead and start up anytime, of, of pictures of what's going on in the sun right now. You look up there, it just looks like an orange ball way away. But this video, it's a NASA one, is going to show you what's going on. It's going over here. Let's get the music with it if you can a little bit. I'm going to read you a story. It's from Second Kings 6. Once the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass the place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army that they may came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh, please, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Friends, we are living in a war zone. Some of you have caught bullets, haven't you? There is so much we don't see. If there is something in your life that you need to say, God, you you are God and I am not, and I'm fighting against something, I don't even, I I, I don't, I can't win. I've got to give it to you. And I trust you that you are God and you are good and you will be faithful. And you want to give that to him, Today, as they're doing their music and listen to the words, don't miss it. Just reach up and give it to God.